Straight Talk Live. Off. Should we get started? Let's go. Let's let's crack on. It's okay. a beautiful day in London. It's also a beautiful day here in San Diego. They buy things to impress people that they don't even like. You do have to change the culture. The culture in the organization is the most important. It's as if reality is splintering into multiple shards. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. I am one of the co-hosts, Rick Snyder. I'm the author of Decisive Intuition, the CEO of Invisible Edge, and proud co-host of this non-for-profit show that's dedicated to exploring the depths of human, digital, and social transformation. And we've got quite a show for you in store today. Before we get into the details, I want to toss it over to my amazing co-host, Af Maholtra. Af, take it away. Thank you, Rick. Um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another fantastic show with Straight Talk Live. I am, of course, the co-creator of this magnificent not-for-profit endeavor and mission that has changed our lives, Rick, right, over the last 16 months or so. Hopefully it's changed your lives in some way as well. And we have a terrific guest today, someone who is um, a truly expansive thinker and has, has, is not just um, intellectually um, compelling, but has done some pretty powerful uh, work in his life, both on the investment side and the venture side, and on the corporate side, working for one of the most um, uh, you know, recognized CEOs of a company called Intel. But I, I won't give the game away yet. I will kick my footy, my football, over to you, Rick, because England is in the final on Sunday. <laughs> Soccer. And uh, why don't we start the proceedings? Let's crack on. Okay. So um, we have an amazing guest today, Bill Devidow, um, who's an author, investor at Moore Devidow Ventures, and amongst many other things that Af just mentioned. Um, and so uh, we're going to be getting into... This whole thing around virtual space and this idea that there's so many technologies right now around augmenting our reality and virtual reality and the things that we can gain from that experience. And yet, what are some of the benefits? What are some of the risks around getting losing touch with our physical reality? And, and how does that all work? We're going to be exploring some of the depths of those different domains of our reality today. And first off, I want to say, uh, Bill, welcome to Straight Talk Live. Well, I'm delighted to be here. We're delighted to have you here. And why don't you share, if you wouldn't mind, a little brief background about yourself just for our audience. Um, so just tell us a little bit about how did you get here? Well, how did I get here? I, uh, I was thinking about that. And, you know, it all, I hate to say, started in 1952 when I was in high school. And I had a friend of mine. Uh, named Bob Rosen, who was very fascinated with digital computers. Mm. And at that point, I decided I wanted to become involved in computers. Mm. And uh, I went off to college. And then uh, one day I was looking at a bulletin board. And uh, uh, after I was in, had an engineering degree, and there was an eight by eight and a half by 11 inch sheet of paper up there. And it was about Caltech. And I had never heard at Caltech so I headed to California to go to Caltech and ultimately got a PhD from Stanford in the computer area they didn't have computer science departments at that time and um, then I, I worked uh, for General Electric that was my first job when they were in the computer business and uh, you probably didn't know that General Electric had a computer department did you no. and then ultimately uh, uh, Hewlett Packard, and uh, then uh, I became interested in semiconductors, and I went to Intel and ran the microprocessor area for a while, and then did venture capital for a while, and then um, at a certain point, I got old enough so that uh, I figured I'd go write books. And tell us a little bit about your most recent book, actually. It just came out not that long ago. Yeah, well, it, 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 uh, it's titled The Autonomous Revolution. But what it really is about is something I call social phase change. And the argument is that basically the agricultural revolution, 
was driven by a social phase change and then the industrial revolution was, and we are now going through the third phase change in the history of humanity. And um, these phase changes are driven by equivalences um, and the industrial, the agricultural revolution by a food equivalence, the industrial revolution by a, a power equivalence, mechanical power for manpower. And um, this is uh, being driven by uh, information equivalences and space equivalences and things like that. And um, this is not a continuation of the Industrial Revolution. This is a, a, a new uh, revolution. And when things go through phase change, mm -hmm. they change form. They obey different rules and we use different tools. So when ice goes through phase change or water does, it changes form, it goes to ice. Mm -hmm. um, we use different tools on it. Pumps and pipes don't work on ice and ice obeys different rules. And in much the same way, our social institutions will change form. We'll use different tools and we'll apply different rules to it. And so the book is explaining uh, this process. And uh, I was all excited about the book because I thought it was a, a new theory of uh, social transformation. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I have to go for it. Yeah, no, I was going to say, um, for those listening in, I just want to say a couple of things. Um, a dear friend of mine, actually, uh, I, I would put up the book here, but a dear friend of mine um, summarized this fantastic book. I wasn't actually exposed to it until recently. And then I heard about Bill's work and I decided to read parts of the summary and then I, I purchased the book and reading reading different chapters that's how I like to consume uh, rather than end to end and one of the most important things which will lead to the next part of this conversation is that um, Bill you you've it, it's a fantastic book I mean it's very well researched very factual uh, not just opinion a lot of fact and your perspective on social face change is very important given where we are with COVID and I guess you have a bit of a story around the four other books that you've written and it's pop and their popularity. And ironically, this might be the most important book. I don't know. I haven't read the other four, but actually, uh, given the chaos with COVID, you haven't been able really to to take it to market the way you would have originally intended. You please do tell us a little bit about that momentarily. What I wanted to say really was you talk about digital or you talk about advanced technologies and you talk about how they've impacted us in different um, eras or different phases of, of human existence and beyond. Um, and then you are sort of drawing a parallel uh, historically and then you're talking about what may or could happen in the future, the good stuff and maybe some of this more scary stuff. Uh, before you tell us a little bit about the book and your plans around the book, which I think is a really humbling story, by the way, because there is a misconception that uh, when someone is uh, a little bit more senior and really well-versed and economically um, well to do and has been around the block or have been around the block everything works out really well for them uh, and it's always it's always brilliant and it's a, you know it's the perfect outcome it kind of doesn't go that way and it doesn't stop so first tell us a bit about the disappointment because let's be real around the launch of the book and then i'd love to take you down the path of the topic today which is virtual space and this this title that's bewildered many of us neanderthals uh, living in virtual space you know, for many, we'll be thinking, what, what does that mean? Uh, but let, you can unpack that for us and we'll, we'll go into the discussion thereafter. Well, I, uh, you know, I, writing a book is a wonderful experience. And, uh, it, it, you know, to me, uh, it's like going back to college. You, you, uh, and uh, maybe it's college, maybe it's more like going back to graduate school, but you, you have an idea that you want to research and talk about, and then you know when you start out just what you're going to say, and then you do some research and you find out a lot of your thinking has fallacy, and then you go and learn and this and that and the other thing. Mm -hmm. And I got a tremendous amount of pleasure out of writing the book, and then you think, oh, everybody else is going to love this important work and you um, go get it published and uh, it gets rejected by 
publisher after publisher and you finally find a publisher who wants to publish it. And so you, you get over that and then the book comes out and you go back to introduce it to the world and lo and behold, uh, you do that in uh, March of 2020 and uh, uh, nobody pays any attention to you because of something like COVID. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's in a way a disappointment, but I look back on it and I had a tremendous amount of fun writing the book. And uh, um, so uh, I, 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 uh, the, the glass is definitely half full. Good, good, excellent, great. Well, you, we, we, we wish that you keep doing this and you keep sort of imparting your wisdom and knowledge into creating other books and new books and, and, and um, so, so enrich our minds. The topic we want to discuss really today, which you brought up in the briefing call, was around this concept of living in a virtual space. Um, please start by telling us what you mean by that, and then um, we'll pursue the conversation thereafter. Well, uh, the other day I looked up the definition of virtual reality because, you know, I used the term and then I say, could I really define it? And mm. it turns out that the definition of virtual reality, and there are lots of them, is that it's a simulation of events, either real or imaginary, that we interact with. That's what virtual reality is. Mm -hmm. And I am happy to announce that I have lived with virtual reality since I was probably a few days old and uh, that all of us live in a virtual environment, even if we aren't connected to a computer. Mm. And uh, I, I came to this insight uh, and I probably should have understood this but it was about six months ago that it, it dawned on me that I was living in a virtual environment. And let me explain. Um, there are no colors in the world. There are only the frequencies of light. And so uh, it, 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 there, it, colors are created in your brain and mind. <clears throat> and if you look at it, when you look at something that is yellow, it excites the green and red cones in your eye. And in your brain, you do not see flashing green and red spots. You see yellow. And so a, a color that you see was actually a light frequency that had no color at all. I mean, there, there are no colors in the world. So you're looking at a stimulation of the world. Mm -hmm. And then I began to think about sound. And of course, sound is merely pulses of air. But now think about this. When I talk, I create pulses of air. Those pulses of air go into your ear and what you hear are words. Language is a virtual reality experience. Mm -hmm. Now think about how the world would be without language and without that virtual reality experience. And then I suddenly began to think about all the claims that we make in Silicon Valley mm -hmm. about what goes on in uh, virtual environments or virtual space. And in virtual space, we have access to the world's knowledge. Well, 10,000 years ago, uh, language did that for us. I mean, it was a way of accessing knowledge. And um, we have facilitated communication. Well, what did language do? It facilitated communication. And um, then we have better ways of organizing things in virtual space. Well, what did language do? It enabled us to organize human activity. And so I looked at it and I said, hey, uh, what were Neanderthals doing? They were doing all this stuff. They were living in virtual space and they lived in virtual space for 400,000 years. 
So I decided that if Neanderthals were alive today, they would probably sue Silicon Valley for patent infringement. <laughs> so in other words, interesting. So in other words, we, um, we of course have this massive surge of um, excitement around devices and headsets when it comes to VR in particular or augmented reality as well through our phones at this stage, or maybe Google Glasses in the future. And uh, actually many weeks back, we had the head of uh, mixed reality or XR from PwC, Jeremy Dalton on our show. And of course he was talking about what's to come, a, a very technology driven view of what's to come and fascinating and so on and so forth. What you're saying is that we have, we already have that superpower because of the examples you've given us. Perhaps we've forgotten that we have that superpower and we've taken it for granted because it's just the way it is. And we are focused on the next big shiny thing because it's con the connotations with building technology and all of the good things that come with it are, are distracting and, and consuming us at this point. So talk us through um, in a little bit more detail, if you would, as to if we're already enabled and we have this imagination we were rick and i were you know we were calling it really advanced sensory capabilities right so we have these senses and these senses are able to interpret um stimuli you know sound um color and so on and so forth and uh, across the world in different cultures there's some uniformity we all see colors in a similar way but there are some people who are colorblind too Interesting. You have people in my family who can't see certain colors. I'm starting to think differently about the way they're interpreting through their VR lenses, the world. Uh, talk, talk us through, um, firstly, is this truly from a scientific standpoint, I'm, I'm sure you're still doing your research. Is this something that we need to awaken people around and help uh, one another realize that we actually have this ability to interpret the world around us? A. And B, um, can you weave in what you think about VR and the emergence of new technologies in um, all aspects of spatial, virtual, spatial uh, existence, holographic technology, that, you know, the concept that VR is going to give us dopamine hits and, and doesn't require us to leave our, uh, our living room sofa or a settee. Talk, talk us through what, why, firstly, why did you, why were we, why were you investigating this six months ago? Because we didn't ask you that question. Like, why, why did it strike you to go do this research six months ago? Well, all right. It, 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 now you want to get me talking for three hours, but uh, let me explain my belief. We evolved to live in physical space. And, uh, and, Virtual, the virtual reality of physical space was key to human survival. Yeah. If we had not had language, mm -hmm. uh, we would probably not be the dominant species mm -hmm. on the planet. So virtual reality was key to human survival. And that virtual reality created by evolution and in the natural world had only one purpose, to enable man to survive better. The virtual reality that has been created on computers, um, its purpose, its overriding purpose is to monetize humanity. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it is not designed uh, to ensure human survival uh, as its only purpose. Now it does enhance our ability to survive, but that is extremely important. Also, physical virtual reality uses all five or six of your senses, if you believe being able to sense where your hands are in space is a sense, and it, I think it is. Mm -hmm. In, in computer visual virtual reality, you are essentially impaired. You, uh, you are uh, 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 not sentient. And when I say that, you don't have smell, you don't have taste, uh, 
you don't have your space orientation um, with you. Your, your visual senses are limited to what's on the screen. You don't see things that aren't on the screen. Your auditory senses are limited by the auditory information you present to you. So I say, hey, maybe you've got one and a half senses in, um, in computer-based visual reality. And the motivations of the people who are managing those experiences are different because, uh, as you mentioned, they're trying to manage dopamine and dominate attention and this and that and the other thing. So the way I view this is that I am adapted through hundreds of thousands of years of evolution to live in physical space. I am maladapted to live in virtual space. So what role do I give to virtual space? I say it is a tool to enhance my experience in physical space, but it is wrong to live there. Mm-hmm. And when people live there, they are in an environment for which they are maladapted. And I believe that, and I this is a belief, not anything that is scientifically proven at this time, but I believe that the effects of living in space for which you are maladapted uh, will be serious. And I believe it will lead to higher levels of mental illness mm-hmm. and things like this. And I think my, my belief is, is that we're going to see that the people uh, aren't, are, 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 are not going to be as emotionally happy when they do it. And uh, I was reading a book uh, called The Brain the other day, and the guy uh, actually uh, in there claimed that we were genetically evolved to want to have um, physical, to interface with people in physical environments. And I, it, it, he claimed that he had scientific proof for that. Well, um, I, I, I don't know that, but I, I, I believe that we want to be and have our relationships in physical space. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't augment them mm-hmm. and facilitate them in virtual space. But if uh, all we're going to do is meet people in, in um, um, virtual space, we're going to be surprised. And I was, I was looking at this the other day, and the average uh, number of uh, people that are uh, uh, Facebook friends that somebody communicates with is around 200. Uh, you know, that, that is something that you can never do in physical space. And, uh, but it's going to be a different relationship with 200 people. I mean, uh, if I'm communicating with 200 people, uh, I'm not spending intense amounts of time with anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, I really appreciate your message here, Bill, that um, there's obviously huge advantages to virtual space. There's a lot of benefits to people in many ways who might have disabilities or just to experience something you can't normally experience or to augment your imagination in certain ways that may have not have been stimulated in your normal environment. So I think there's all definitely benefits we could agree on. And I appreciate your point that we can go too far, that we can get disconnected from our physical reality. We can feel that sense of isolation, losing that human connection. And if one thing I'm reflecting off on our show, we've had, I'll call it elder wisdom. We've had a few elders on our show in different uh, domains of life who've really kind of made it in their lifetime. They're in a comfortable place and they're here to send us a message and they're saying, hey, mm. let's not forget some of the most important elements of why we're here and how we, what, what it is to live a fulfilled life. 
what it is to remember some of the basics of human connection that we can forget with all the latest gizmos and technological advances, et cetera. So I'm appreciating that message, Bill. One question that I have for you is, you know, there's a lot of talk these days around the, uh, the cyborg, the human and the digital merging, literally, like with Neuralink, with Elon Musk's work, and literally some of the virtual space merging with physical space, even internally in our systems. I'm curious, any research you've done around that and some of your thoughts in that merging space? No, I, I, I haven't done a lot of research in this area. You know, what I can observe is that, I, you, know, you know, 5 billion people are now active in virtual space. You know, mm -hmm. two-thirds of the world's population are moving to a new environment Mm -hmm. This is the greatest social experiment in the history of humanity. Usually, when we do things like this, we tend to do medical trials. Mm -hmm. We try things out on a few hundred people. And we say, oh, yeah, there were problems here, this and that, the other thing. Here, we're running a social experiment on 5 billion people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is it any wonder that we're suddenly saying, oh, uh, you know, it, 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 what the world became more polarized. We didn't expect that to happen. We expected it mm -hmm. to bring the world together. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, uh, you know, oh, news doesn't work the way we thought it did anymore. When you have one-to-many communications, we, if we've, instead of it giving us more reliable news, it gives us more unreliable facts. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are amazed at, at this. Well, you know, uh, I, I will, uh, uh, you know, I was amazed at, at, you know, the polarization thing. Uh, I, the guy who invented the term, Robert Merton, homophily, mm. he did that work 50 years ago. Uh, he, and if you would, if, 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 if the visionaries of social, of Silicon Valley had read some um, uh, research by a sociologist who had done the work 50 years ago, they would have realized that, that, that their technology had a high potential to polarize people. Mm -hmm. Instead, you know, they theorized that it was going to bring us together. Well, I, 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 I think, uh, uh, it, it, you know, we're running a social experiment on 5 billion people. And it, um, I would prefer if we had run it on one state in the United States and figured out uh, <laughs> what part of it we liked and could uh, then export it to the other 50 states. Mm -hmm. Mm. You talk, that's very interesting, a social experiment um, on 5 billion people makes you wonder why we participated. And I guess there are, there, are, uh, there are tribes of people who are actually now going out of their way to detach themselves from the experiment uh, by doing a bunch of very interesting things. Some people are writing books, other people are turning off social media and all aspects of um, social activity and meeting people uh, a lot more, uh, you know, ironically yeah. before, before COVID, there was that movement going on um, and so on and so forth. Uh, let, let's, let, I want to ask you another question about this concept of um, impairment, sensory impairment versus um, sensory deprivation. And let me, let me explain why I'm asking this question. So I guess when you use technology a lot more than you need to, you uh, you lose the fluency and practice around using your own assets, your own sort of superpowers, yep. right? Over a period of time. That's like anything in life. I'm a musician. If I don't practice my, my instrument uh, for three or four months, I go back and I think, oh my God, this is a nightmare. I've got the muscle memory, but I've got to build the stamina again. And that's an instrument that's still workable. But when you take something as complex as um, virtual physical space and you become reliant on VR, Let's just assume, right? I mean, Ready Player One, the movie, uh, is, a, is one of the best examples of where it could end up going, maybe. Mm -hmm. And even if you borrow 10% of that, it's, it can, for some people, it'd be, wow, so exciting. And others, it would be very worrying. So, 
you know, this impairment, lack of practice and the, the, the kit not working properly in the future has its consequences, you know, on, on mental well-being, our ability to build physical relationships and so on and so forth. And you, you shared a brilliant story, um, which I, I will request you to share about the bananas. So I'll stop it at that. But you will, about the banana, the bananas. Oh, yeah. The apple yeah. bananas at the farmer's market. Yeah. I'll let you do, I'll let you share the story. Um, but so that's impairment. And then sensory deprivation for me is when you take a break, right? Because your, your senses are overloaded. Whether we like it or not, we've got these damn technology devices everywhere, you know, and as soon as I get off this call, I'll have my mobile phone. I'll probably touch it, like you said, two and a half thousand times a day. And I'll look at it, God knows how many times. Do I sleep with it? Probably yes. Do I take it to places I shouldn't take it? Probably yes. Many of us do. Are we addicts? Yes, we are. Uh, but that's not good enough, is it really? Because that's that's me just accepting, well, I'm just an addict, but I need it because it's it's my companion. Um, so there are people who are moving towards things that they can do to sort of reduce the addiction. Uh, so, you know, flotation tanks, meditation, and the list goes on and on. I've tried a few of them. And I have to tell you, it kind of does work because you switch off for a period of time. Um, given this environment, so what is your view on what's to come? Um, after you tell us the banana story, what's what's going to happen? You've written this book, you've got all these facts, you've got, you know, over 50, maybe 55 plus years of life experience as in, in, in your career and more. And um, what, what is it? What's what's going to happen? What do you think? What are the scenarios that we're dealing with here? Well, I, I, I you know, I was reading this book on people who try to forecast the future and I, I can't, uh, that convinced me that I shouldn't try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I think you're going to have large segments of the population that are going to inhabit the virtual world. And let's face it, uh, being a master of certain, uh, in the virtual world, it leads to, um, great personal success for some people. And, and so they're going to be the masters of the virtual universe. And uh, uh, I, I, I think each of us is probably going to have to make up our, uh, is going to have to make up our own minds as to what makes us happy. Um, and uh, I, 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 I would argue that if, uh, uh, I, I mean, I, what I want to do is, is manage the virtual world so, you know, that I don't have to go to a flotation tank. Uh, I, 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 I want it to be part of the flow of my normal life and, uh, uh, you know, and that requires me to have certain rules. Like I don't look at my smartphone when I'm driving, and uh, um, and I I don't uh, uh, you know it, 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 the phone does not. Well, I can't say it's not used at the dinner table when my wife and I are sitting there and. We're having a discussion, and we want a fact. I I will take it out and look it up. But mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, it, it, it's it, it's a very sparing thing, and mm -hmm. I will continue to get my greatest pleasures out of out of being with people, enjoying people, whether it's at dinner or in a social environment or in sports. Uh, and uh, I, I want to interface with them that way. And I don't, I don't hang out with people on Facebook. I'll occasionally look at a Facebook page and hmm. I, uh, and uh, I may or may not make a comment occasionally, but it's, it's very rare. We're about, to go through one of the most wonderful family experiences of my life for for years. Uh, when my daughter was 10 years old, we ended up going to uh, 
this what I would call guest ranch in Southern California. And we had a wonderful time and we were there for three days. And I remember my two daughters, when we had to leave after three days, one of them sitting on one bed and the other sitting on the other bed in tears about having to leave. And so we started going back. And uh, now uh, we go back with my grandchildren and I had brought my parents there. And so this has been going on for uh, now uh, close to 45 years. And now there are gonna be 23 of us there for three days together. And everybody looks forward to the experience and uh, it's a fun thing. And uh, I, I guess I should tell you the story about the bananas. Uh, yeah. But I was in Kauai and um, I, uh, Sonia and I went, my wife went to the farmer's market and, uh, uh, and uh, we went up to uh, this place to buy some fruit and um, I, uh, we got some vegetables and a papaya and the woman said, uh, that's $9. And I handed her a $10 bill and uh, she uh, didn't have change because somebody had been there before me with a big $100 bill and wiped out her change. And so she said, without even thinking about it at all, here, are four apple bananas, which are small bananas, uh, uh, for uh, in change, and uh, so uh, I I was back in a barter economy, and I I thought it was just wonderful, and it made my day. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I thought, isn't that nice? And uh, but it it uh, I don't think it ever dawned on her that I might not accept the four bananas for a dollar mm. and uh and i i thought that was great and what it it just says is that you know you, human experience is a lot of fun mm. Mm. yeah and i it's, it's, it's a lovely story because i think uh, many of us um are trying to reconnect with the human experience you know um as soon as as soon as we're allowed to travel rick's going to get over to london of course and we can't wait to meet face to face and we can't meet, you know, wait to have that connection. Although every Thursday we meet each other, right? We meet each other here. And, yeah. and in fact, we talk twice a week on these flat video 2D calls, which when we started off were fantastic and they still are um, when we, do, we have the drought of physical contact mm -hmm. and they still, they still are. But I think there is, the, my next question really is generational. And you talk about your family and, and your daughter and your grandchildren. Uh, walk, walk us through um, how you see the generational um, conundrum here, because of course you're from a certain generation and you have your collective life experience. Uh, Rick and I are maybe a similar uh, generation. And then you have the sort of younger folk who have grown up with uh, digital natives, as they call sometimes, they've grown up with this environment. They might find what we're saying a little bit foreign and odd and old school, um, but, but walk us through how you've dealt with it in terms of, you know, people who bought your book and people you talk to regularly who are of, of a younger generation. Where are they at mentally? Uh, and uh, how, how do you feel about their way of looking at this? Well, I, 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 I mean, I, I don't know this. I'm going to do a good job of answering your question, but obviously if you're a member of a younger generation, you're going to feel differently about these interactions. You're going to be better adjusted to that virtual environment. Mm -hmm. It's going to be less hostile for you than it is to me. Um, you uh, aren't going to be as sensitive to a lot of the things that I'm sensitive to in physical space. Yeah. Um, you know, eye contact isn't going to be, let's say, as meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, more of your life can be committed and will be committed to virtual space. I just accept that. I, I don't know as, uh, and uh, uh, I, I, maybe every 
generation has said that. I don't know is your life is going to be as happy as my life. I, I mean, I think I've lived a pretty happy life. And, uh, um, and, uh, and I, I think a lot of it, a lot of the things that have made me happy are what I've done in physical space. Like I'd love to ski. And uh, uh, one of the things I, I, I've done is, um, is, you know, gone helicopter skiing. All right. And helicopter I, skiing is just a phenomenal experience. And I, I and, I, you know, I, I, I see people doing virtual exercise and this and that, the other thing. And, then I think about some of those experiences in physical space, and maybe you can recreate these with a virtual reality headset, but I'm out there and I, 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 I feel myself actually floating in the, in the snow and I, I can still see my ski tips coming out of the snow. And I, I, I still remember one of these runs I took down a place called Black Forest and, and um, I, I, it, it, which had been a place that had been a forest fire. And I remember the trees uh, around me that had been burned out. And I remember some of the turns I took and this and that and the other thing. And, and I mean, I can't, Imagine that experience, all right? I think about being on a tennis court and the exhilaration mm -hmm. I get running for a tennis ball mm -hmm. and then hitting the perfect shot. And, um, and you know, part of it is, you know, the, the physical struggle of getting there and then feeling that ball on the strings of the racket. And maybe you're going to be able to create that for me in a physical environment, but those are... Those are physical world experiences to me that are are different than the than the social experiences. And mm -hmm. I I live in a wonderful place, and we've got wonderful oaks around us, beautiful, beautiful two hundred year old oaks. And I work out in the morning, and then after I've worked out, I go out and and uh, get the newspaper and. I still read the newspaper, um, and I also read it on I, the iPad, but I prefer reading it in actual print, actually. And every morning I, when I walk out, or almost every morning, I look at those oaks, and I think they're just these wonderful creations of nature, and, and I just marvel at them, and, it's, and I, I just get pleasures that way, and I don't think... Uh, uh, you know, I, I've got this nice picture behind me of the, the mountains in Kauai, and I, it's wonderful looking at the picture, but it's a totally different experience being there. So, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, nicely summarized. I guess it's going to be a choice. And um, the good news is we, you know, the physical contact element of of the physical space elements is still alive and we very much value it even the younger generation and which is why you're seeing this massive revolution around or mixed response should i say around working from home post post covid some ceos are being very clear that they want everyone back as soon as possible others saying hey do whatever you want but actually do whatever you want is also about ensuring that it's not about you sitting behind the desk only it's about you getting off the desk being in a coffee shop being in a more flexible environment with with people in the physical space uh, not just you know relying on zoom calls or video calls so we'll see how this story uh, unfolds we have an opportunity for some questions so those who are on facebook or youtube please send in your questions um because we'll, we'll send those over to to bill um, I'd like to make one comment since please. you mentioned work. Um, I, I worked at Intel for a number of years and Intel was a, a great success and I considered it an honor to be able to work there. But uh, I think it was safe to say that uh, 
uh, maybe you could have said we were the Marine Corps, um, but I don't think we could have built that company in a completely virtual environment. I, I, I think mm. it, it, it could have been 25% virtual, but we had personal relationships, we created friendships, mm. uh, we did things together and, um, and uh, we, and it was those, those bonds that created, I think played a tremendous role in creating Intel. And um, I realize Intel has had a number of problems in recent years, but mm-hmm. when, uh, when I was there, um, we were there. I mean, we were really there. Yeah. And, uh, so. I think that's an important point because, you know, a lot of times there's uh, all the studies that come out around engagement and employee engagement. It's yeah. always around like 30% at best that people feel actually actively engaged in their work life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably an interesting element we don't talk about enough is how is the impact of remote working in some people, these, especially since COVID, have never met their colleagues, have never been in the same room to look in the same eyes or shake hands um, with the people they've hired. Um, How rare is that in our trajectory, in our history, right? In the work life. So we're seeing a whole different dynamic around engagement and loyalty and staying really bought into a company culture and how much harder it is to establish a company culture remotely when you don't have those somatic experiences. Yep, Mm -hmm. I I agree. Okay, I'm sorry to take us down Mm -hmm. that. Oh, no, it's an important point. There is a, there is a, there's a side question that's coming around uh, maybe a little bit later, but we have a few minutes left, uh, a little bit more philosophical. With the many years that you have under your belt and the knowledge that you've picked up, what would you now do differently if you knew all this stuff many years ago? I, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. I, I, you know, I just... I've been incredibly lucky and uh, uh, I, I don't have a lot of regrets about a lot of things. <laughs> you go with the flow. You go with yes. the flow. Um, go, you want to take this one? Yeah, we have, a, we have a Facebook question coming in, Bill. So your comments about how our brains create reality made me think about the movie The Matrix. Have you seen that movie, Bill, by the way? No, I, I have not. Okay, it's basically a simulated world, a uh, virtual world, uh, and only a few people are become awake or cognizant of the fact that they're in a virtual world, where most people are not even aware of that. They're just in that simulated world. And so the question is, so curious about your thoughts and how we can be more mindful about creating fullness of experience and staying out of the matrix or staying out of a simulated world that we're just kind of doing our day job and we're not really aware of the 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 benefits of physical reality and connection and human connection, et cetera. Well, I, I, I don't even know how to address that question. Quite so, honestly. Or like, in other words, how can you be, how, how would you advise being more mindful to the younger generations who might have so much screen time? They don't appreciate the physical connection, the human connection like you have. Well, I, I, I think you've got to experience the physical connection. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you don't experience the physical connection and you don't enjoy it, you're not going to care about it anyhow. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a lot of this happens. Uh, I mean, you know, when I was working at Intel, I came home every night that I could and we had dinner with the family and we built a lot of relationships that way. I was in a restaurant the other day and there was a family sitting next to me and every one of them was on their phone and uh, they weren't interacting at all. Well, uh, and the parents were on their phones and the kids were on their phones. So how are you going to mm-hmm. learn about a family experience and mm-hmm. build bonds if everybody's bonding to somebody else? So it, you've got to practice it. Mm-hmm. 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 That's, yeah. a, that's a fair point. Um, tell us a little bit about um, where you are today in your life. Um, not a lot of pe- people who don't know you. Um, are you are you still in the game? Are you still running a venture firm? Have you sort of taken a back seat and you're sort of, as they say, chilling out? 
um, reflecting on life. What, what what are you doing right now in your life? Because, you, of course, well, you have the, you know. So we have our family, which has always been important. And we still spend a lot of time as a family. And my two daughters and their husbands and grandkids live near us. So that's part of what we do. I'm involved uh, deeply with three philanthropies where I serve on the boards and put in a lot of time. Um, I uh, still play a lot of sports. Um, and um, then uh, I, I, and I've got the things that one does to normally maintain one's life. And then um, it, it, I love to read and, uh, and I, 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 I have this website and I blog on it and mm -hmm. occasionally, you know, I, there are a few hundred readers and uh, I wish there were thousands, but uh, there aren't. And uh, on the other hand, uh, once again, uh, you know, part of the writing is the intellectual experience and just the fun of doing it. I mean, that's how I discovered that Neanderthals live in virtual space. And then, uh, you know, then that gives me uh, lots of fun things to talk about with friends. And um, so uh, it, it, it's great. I'm, I'm 86 years old, so I, I, uh, I, I, and I still do do some business things. I'm on the board of, of, uh, of one technology company, and I spend a fair amount of time um, with the, 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 the president of that company and mostly on strategic issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. We so what, what are you, what are you hoping for, for uh, this next generation? You know, as you said, you're 86, uh, mm -hmm. you have grandkids that are growing up. What are you hoping for them uh, as they venture out into their physical and virtual spaces? Well, you know, I was, I was thinking about this and, you know, um, I hope that, that everybody has enough um, so that they're physically, that they've got enough food, that they've got a warm place to live if it's cold or a cool place to live if it's hot. And I, 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 I hope that, that you know, Maslow's triangle is self-actualization. I hope that they get to the self-actualization part. Um, I, I, I hope people are satisfied with their lives. And, um, uh, and that to me, it, 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 you know, when I was growing up, that meant making a lot of money. And uh, I, I don't define that in terms of money anymore. I, 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 I think it, it's, you know, do you feel good about yourself? And, uh, and uh, there are uh, lots of ways to do this, but I, you know, it, 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 the interesting thing, and I was thinking about this is that, um, and I believe in the free market, uh, I, I, but also I believe that the free market makes a lot of mistakes. And it turns out that one of the things the free market doesn't do necessarily well is uh, compensate people uh, in terms of their contributions. And uh, one of the things that we're facing right now is that uh, something I call a bipolar economy where the value of work is being set by a robot, but the necessities of life are being driven by inflation. Food is rising faster, cost of housing and this and that other thing. <clears throat> and there are lots of things that people do that are extremely valuable that they aren't compensated for. 
and uh, and uh, one of them is raising kids. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, if I want to have a job, I pay somebody to take care of the kids. Uh, so I could argue that maybe we should be paying mothers to stay at home and take care of kids. Mm-hmm. And and we may be facing issues like that in the new economy uh, because uh, uh, people are doing real work and they aren't being compensated for it. And uh, so, uh, I I mean, these are uh, a different set of thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think that's a really interesting point around, you know, universal basic income is becoming hotter in the conversation around the world and especially in the U.S., um, is something that you wouldn't have even conceived maybe 20 years ago, or, you know, that wouldn't have even been part of the conversation and more and more that seems to be inching its way toward a possibility toward other, you know, I think in more European countries, there's a lot more social safety net than we have in the States. And so that could be interesting to see what are ways that we can support the basic needs so that we can actually support the higher level Maslow's needs around belonging and meaning and self-actualization. So um, I think I, I'm very much a supporter of that as long as it's done in a way that's, um, you know, fair as well. Well, I, you know, I mean, I, it, it, it does not bother me at all that Jeff Bezos has a hundred billion dollars or whatever it is. And I don't think that, that that's the problem. I think the problem is that there are a lot of people who don't have enough. And the question mm-hmm. is, um, and uh, and uh, uh, there are a lot of really deserving people that don't have enough, mm-hmm. and um, um, and the, the the question is how do you deal with that? And um, I, I, universal basic income may be one way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quick question: Like when you say you don't have a problem with Jeff Bezos making a hundred, you know, a hundred billion plus, whatever he's making. Do you have a problem with Amazon paying zero in taxes? I, I have a problem with people not doing things that are fair. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, and uh, I, 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 I suspect that if you're benefiting from, uh, and I don't understand everything that Amazon has done, but I, mm-hmm. I, I suspect I would consider that to be unfair. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, but, uh, it, 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 I, I believe that if you're benefiting from society, that you all pay the social costs that are associated mm-hmm. with a lot of that too. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. On that note, I think we're coming to the end of the, the, the session, um, I'll say a few bits and, and then I'll pass the, the baton on to you, Rick, to close the proceedings. But uh, Bill, it's been amazing having you on the show. The, the hour's gone by very quickly. We've uh, talked about a lot of very um, powerful, compelling uh, aspects of, of your research and your work. Uh, I'm still to complete the book. I have a few more chapters for me to go through. Um, Rick usually asks this and I'll ask it and before he closes um, off and then introduces our guest for next week. Uh, where can people find you? Um, what other books have you written for those who don't know um, your past work? Just give us a bit of an indication. There could be people on our show. We sometimes have our past guests on the show too, who are uh, quite sort of established and sound and, and mavericks too in their own right. Um, how do we get hold of you? Um, talk, tell us a bit about where to, where's the meeting point? Where, how do we get hold of you and uh, about the past work that you've done? Well, uh... I've written five other books. Uh, my first one was on marketing, and it became the cult marketing book in Silicon Valley, and then one on customer service. And um, uh, then I, 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 I wrote a book called Overconnected. Uh, and uh, I also wrote a book titled The Virtual Corporation, which was where the name of the virtual corporation came from. Mm. So those were the books. And, um, um, uh, you know, I'm at davidow.com. And, um, but um, I'm probably not the best Facebook community.
indicator and things like this. So I, uh, maybe I'm a bit of a recluse. So go to davidow.com to find you and your work. Yes. Yes. Okay. That works. Okay. Perfect. Excellent. Bill, thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, appreciate your wisdom and your, your unique philosophies that I think we need to hear in today's world now more than ever, especially as we go deeper into the virtual spaces to not lose connection with our human and physical <clears throat> realities. So really appreciate your message today. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed being here. So, yeah, it's been and may, may there be many more apple bananas in your near future. <laughs> <laughs> And for, and for those of you tuning in uh, for next week, we have a very exciting uh, repeat guest in uh, Dale Kutnick, um, who's a SVP Distinguished Analyst at Gartner and also founder of the Laura and Dale Kutnick Foundation. We'll be really diving deep in our first time on the show, going really deep into the whole reality of crypto tokens and blockchain. What's it really about? What's really going on in the public and private sectors? Should you be investing? Should you be putting that on pause? Dale's got a very unique view on that. And so that's going to be a very exciting talk next week, same time, Thursday. Thank you all straight talkers out there. Continue straight talking. And Bill, thanks again for being on our show. Thank um, you. Looking forward to uh, future and near connections. Thank you so much. <laughs>